You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Frame. Eric Scopel is with me. Eric, today's a Wednesday. That means we dive into the mailbag. I think we've got a lot of good questions on the show. Uh, a lot of variancy. We got we got some recruiting, we got some football. We'll we'll see where we go with this. Um, I think before we dive into into the questions, though, this week I was like USC week. Uh, Especially when this team goes down to to the Coliseum to play a football game, it just feels like there's just a little bit of extra buzz to that game. Do you feel that? Yeah, and I've I've never been to a game at the Coliseum before, and I certainly haven't covered one, so I'm excited to check out the atmosphere and the environment. And I, and I know there is something special about USC, just in terms of the the the, the buzz, I guess, and, and and just kind of the anticipation. Um, USC was obviously top dog in the Pac-12 for a very long time, and even though they had kind of given that up basically since, what, the mid-2000s, uh, yeah. last 15 years they haven't quite been there, but they're still a banner program. They're still – I mean, Los Angeles, don't get it twisted. The teams in the Pac-12 are successful in part because of what they've been able to do recruiting in Los Angeles. And so <clears throat> to go in and possibly you know, face, face the most talented team in the conference, I think that still remains the case, like – it doesn't matter what their record is. Like, you, you know USC has dudes. And if you look at USC's roster, and we'll talk about this throughout the show, um, they certainly have guys this year, e- even though it's a team that has struggled and lost a couple games they shouldn't have. We should mention they haven't lost at home. Um, they've been a completely different animal at home. They've been much better uh, at the Coliseum than they have been on the road. So uh, Oregon's up for a stiff challenge. There's no question about that. Looking forward to... It, it, it is one interesting thing of going to the Coliseum. I've been there, I think, three times. Um, the, the craziest one was when USC and Oregon played, and that was the Kenyon Barner game when he had like 5,000 yards rushing and 100 touchdowns. Um, is that exactly? Slightly, was that, slightly exaggerating. I was going to say, it sounds a little high. I can't remember for <laughs> sure. It sounds slightly high. Uh, but I remember going into that game and, and – driving my car rental in and thank God I had a parking pass because USC was ranked at the time, I think like maybe low twenties and there were legitimate parking spot parking lots full and they were asking for $150 a ticket. That's when you know you're in LA. Yeah. Well, I'm just excited for the $300 Uber ride to the stadium from our hotel because that'll be fun. (laughs) Well, all right, let's get into this mailbag. Uh, we've got eight questions. You send them to us. We answer them. This is kind of your chance to drive the ship per se. Uh, Eric, I hand these over to you now. Take us home. Well, I want to start by not even asking a question, but acknowledging that uh, last week at JD High Roller asked us a very pertinent question about if a game would come down to Camden Lewis's leg. <clears throat> and I wanted to just sort of start by saying, good question. Uh, as you said in the question, the football gods are bound to test us there at some point. They did test, and uh, Oregon was up for the challenge. So good question uh, by J.D. High Roller. A little bit of like Nostradamus there by calling that out a week early. And we're going to start with a question from J.D. High Roller just because why not? He had the question last week. Maybe it'll be uh, we're, we're a good place to start with this week. So 
uh, from at JD High Roller. So after two very close emotional wins, Oregon has to go on the road to play arguably the most talented team they face in the Pac-12 so far, who hasn't lost a game at home. This feels like the ultimate trap game. What say you? What's it going to take to leave LA with a win? Uh, I I don't disagree with any of that. Uh, to be honest, I, I do think this is. Look, going into the season, this was the game I predicted Oregon to lose. It was the only game I had them losing all season. Um, and it was for the reasons that were stated there. USC is always going to be among the most talented teams. Uh, they always play well at home, even though there's not always a, you know, a, a rabid fan base there. It's not always packed. It's not always, there's a lot of things to do in Los Angeles that don't include watching college football. Let's put it that way. And so the stadiums, from my perspective, Matt's obviously been there more than I have, but they're not always packed. And so maybe the environment, maybe I'm, sleeping on the environment, but it's always too hard to win games down there. So absolutely this is a trap. And I don't even know if it's a trap game. I think this is just a scary football game. I mean, Oregon's favored to win. They're expected to win. Uh, they're, I think, the better team. But you go against the USC team that, like, they've been really, really good down there. They beat Utah down there, and they did that without their starting quarterback or their backup quarterback. That was their third-string guy, uh, Fink, who played in that game. And they won against Utah, who's basically been untested the rest of the way. I mean, Utah's dominated everyone else they've played. So, yeah, this is going to be a really challenging game. I will turn to Matt for the second part of the question of what's it going to take L.A. to leave with the win. Matt, why don't you start there, and I'll probably have some thoughts after. Oh, I mean, I think this game is a trap game in the sense that there's going to be a lot of off – distractions isn't the right word, but there are going to be a lot of people pulling and tugging at a majority of this Oregon football team. Because a lot of these guys are from Southern California, and so they're yep. going home. And, you know, we bumped into a parent uh, leaving the Washington State game, and he had told us they had already received 65 ticket requests, and they were looking for more, you know, tickets for 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 this football game. And so you, automatically you're going to have – guys have the pull of, oh, can I see this person in the hotel room before I leave? Can mom and dad come by and see me and hang out night before and whatnot? And that's going to be uh, – distraction isn't the right word, and I don't know how else to say it, but it, it's going to be something that's going to potentially pull the players away from the focus of what they're down there for, and that's to win a football game. Um I don't think it's going to cost them, but you all, you never know. I mean, these are, these are young guys, a lot of them, um, going home for the first time at USC or in the LA area for a football game. I mean, think about how many guys on this team, uh, did not travel to UCLA in 2017 or were even on the team in 2017. Um, cause they didn't go to LA in 2018. Uh, UCLA came north. To, to Oregon. Um, I, what is it going to take for Oregon to, to walk out of LA with a victory? I think you've got to be able to duplicate what you've done in the last two second halves of your games. And that's be a dominant run football team. Um, I, I, I really think that's how Oregon wins this game is you kind of submit USC into submission and you chew up the clock, you limit possessions and you hopefully wear down your opponent so that in the fourth quarter, USC's defense, which we should know is completely banged up, yeah. uh, is gassed and can't stop you. 
Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really good point to start with. Just to, I think the, the, the game plan offensively needs to continue to be run the football. I, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I know that's like an antiquated phrase, but it's true in terms of like, we saw it against Washington State. They couldn't, they didn't have an answer for Oregon running the football. And the only thing that really got in the way of Oregon was a couple of penalties that derailed, derailed a couple of drives. And we should mention this is a USC defense that's really not very good against the run either. Um, you know, last week they were below Washington State in the conference. Of course, Washington State fell quite a bit after Oregon ran for over 300 yards, but USC is 10th in the conference against the rush with 198, sorry, 189.6 yards allowed per game. But to put it into context, Washington State's 12th with 193.4, sandwiched in between is Oregon State at 191.6. So USC's really bad stopping the run. It's not something they've done very well all season. I mean, when you allow about 200 yards per game rushing, that tells you a whole, a whole lot of the story. So I agree in terms of, like, I know people are excited about the passing game. I know the passing game, and, and Justin Herbert led Oregon to victory in that final drive. There's, they didn't run the ball really I think they ran one run play at the end before they set up the field goal. But that whole drive was based upon passing. But I don't think that's Oregon's bread and butter right now. And, and you know, it's weird because that's how much things change over the course of a month. Because about a month ago, we were saying, man, they don't have a run game at all. And it's going to have to be almost entirely on Justin Herbert's shoulders. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think you've seen now through about three or four straight games where they've run the ball really effectively. And I would just continue to lean upon that. And with USC so banged up, I think that's crucial. And look, on the other side of the football, and we'll get to this because the next couple questions deal about defending USC, but you've got to find an answer for these receivers. And Mario Cristobal said yesterday that the trio of Michael Pittman, uh, Tyler Vons, and Amon Ra St. Brown uh, is as good as it gets in the country, and that all three of those guys are capable of being first-round draft picks in the NFL. So uh, that's going to be a massive challenge, and to me that almost is – I think, like, I, it's weird because, you know, again, a couple weeks ago we were like, all Oregon needs to do is score 21 points in these games and they win. I think it's changing a little bit. Not that I think yep. the defense isn't great, but I think you're at the point here where now it's more of, you're going to need to score more than 21 points to win these games, and it's going to be more of, can you get enough offensive production to match or surpass what USC does? Because I just think USC is going to score in this game. I do. Um, and, and maybe I'll be proven wrong. I hope I'm proven wrong, but I, I just think it's going to be a really tough ask to stop this passing game, which has been really dynamic all season. Nobody's really had much of an answer for uh, what, what these guys can do throwing the football. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you that they're playing the better offenses now in the conference. Yep. That that matters. And, and the teams that they played earlier in the year when they weren't giving up touchdowns and they were holding teams to less than 10 points per game, the reality is those were the bottom – Offenses in the conference. You know, they were the worst offenses in the conference. I mean, look at scoring. California, Stanford, Colorado. Okay, those are three teams that Oregon dominated against, and they are in the bottom. Colorado is ninth in scoring, Stanford is eleventh in scoring, and California is twelfth in scoring in offenses. You look at the teams that Oregon has played the last two weeks, Washington State, first in the league in scoring, Washington third in the league in scoring. They're they're playing the better teams, and now yep. USC is going to be that middle-of-the-road type of offense where they've got the big play ability, but if you can shut them down in some capacity, they fall over. Um, but they have that threat of being arguably the most talented team in the conference. Question two, talking about that passing offense from at Sabin Brab, 
or Saban Brab. He corrected me a couple weeks ago, and I almost forgot. I need to make sure I get that right. Uh, I know USC and Washington State both run air raid, but how do they differ? Uh, I will start by saying the talent is significantly different uh, at wide receiver in particular. I know I just mentioned it, but, like, USC's receivers, like, as, as good as Brandon Arcanado was against Oregon, and he was really, really, really good. He had nine catches, 130 yards, a couple touchdowns, also had the two-point conversion uh, to make it a three-point game in the fourth quarter. USC has a bunch of guys that are just significantly more athletic. Like Arcanado is a former walk-on, right? And, and yeah. the guys that the guys that USC is trotting out there are five-star recruits or top, you know top 100 recruits that are dripping with NFL talent, and uh, that's that's where it starts. Now, uh, I'll hand it over to Matt in terms of if you have any other thoughts about differentials. Between yeah, well, I mean, the first and foremost is USC runs the ball more than than Washington State does. I mean, the, the Cougars have. 134 rushing attempts this season. 28 of those have come from Anthony Gordon, whether that's a sack or or a scramble. Um, USC has 264, so they have uh, <clears throat> excuse me, they have 130 more rushing attempts in the same amount of games. I mean, they're they're literally, you know, USC averages what is it? USC's average is not pop up here, but Washington State averages 16 carries per game. USC's in the 20s, and USC has better running backs than than what Washington State does. Now, granted, Max Borgie is really, really good in the run game and the passing game, but USC's running backs, Valve Malapai, Marquis Stepp, Stephen Carr, Keenan Christian, you know, those guys are more big play, true traditional running backs, and so I think they, they do run the ball a little bit more. Um, they do have a tight end, which Washington State does not use. Uh, but the basics of it is, is Washington State's an air raid. They throw the ball deep. They, they have their, you know, six or seven receivers. And USC, they do the same thing. They have plenty of five wide sets, plenty of four wide sets. And they have arguably three of the best receivers in the country in Michael yep. Pittman. Uh, Tyler Vons and Amon Ross St. Brown. And then you don't forget, you know, they've got a London Drake that was a big time recruit. Um, they've got, a, they've got Josh Follow, who is a tight end that's played in six games. And he, he while he doesn't lead the team and the tight ends and receptions, he's still a threat. You know, they've got guys on this roster, uh, like you said, that are just simply significantly better on paper than, than what Washington State deployed. You know, and I think the thing that's, it's just challenging because uh, again, I really think that Oregon has talented defensive backs, but there's an inherent advantage to the offense. And you, if you've got a, you know, if you've got a defensive back that's going to be an NFL player and you have a wide receiver who's going to be an NFL player, unfortunately that wide receiver typically wins a lot of those battles. And I think that's the thing that scares me here is that even though I think Oregon has really good corners and I think they're, I mean, Javon Holland at nickel is a star player and you've got I think Farrell McKinley's pretty decent out there in coverage. I think Nick Pickett is, is a good a good safety in terms of making plays, you know, once the ball's been caught. I'm not sure he makes a ton of plays in the air. But it, it's it's hard because I think all those guys are good players, but they're going up against guys that are just as good, if not a little better, at what they do. And, again, because of the way football works, like, the receiver has a lot of the advantages. I mean, we saw it last week against Washington State where, even if there's a bunch of contact, it almost always is flagged on the defender, even though if it's you know blatantly not the case. And so I, I get a little bit nervous about if if, if USC is going to throw the ball a ton with these big receivers that are really really talented, 
And with the way that, that well, we just saw the game officiated last week, it's going to be hard, I think, for Oregon to get stops. And, and, and I think that's the thing that coming into this game, I'm, I'm just curious to see how they can get stops because, you know, we, a couple weeks ago, we going into the Washington game, you know, I thought Washington was going to have a hard time scoring and they didn't really until the second half, until the fourth quarter. And against Washington State, Oregon didn't really have an answer the whole game. So, uh, they, they need to figure some stuff out against a really, really good USC pass offense. Um, and I think the third question here is a good question because it sets up what is, I think, a, a part of that, which is from at Clear Duck. The question is, I say getting pressure on Keaton Slovis will be one of the keys to beating USC. What do you think? Um, 100% I agree with that. You know, there's been a big drop-off in terms of getting after the quarterback from those first six games to the last two games. And I don't think it's by accident that there's a direct correlation by, you know, between pressuring the quarterback and, and defending the pass. You know, and I asked Cristobal about that yesterday, and he said, yeah, we need to find ways to do that. We've done some good stuff getting off the edge. We've done some good stuff in the past, but we have to continue to improve. And they had two combined sacks against Washington and Washington State. Uh, coming into the Washington game, they were averaging about four sacks per game. You know, right. coming into the coming into the Washington game, they were averaging about seven or eight quarterback hits per game. And the last two weeks, they've had a combined four. So uh, th- this is a matter of they need to find ways to get after the quarterback because what they're doing right now just simply isn't really good enough. And uh, against USC, yeah, I agree. You have to find ways to make it difficult. You know, again, it's a freshman quarterback. You, you, it should be an opportunity to really get after him and make his life difficult. But as we've seen, if you don't do that, these quarterbacks are too good to, you know, if you don't get pressure on them, they're just going to pick you apart. And then, so yeah, you have to find ways to make life difficult on Slovis or, or else it's just going to be easy pickings. Yeah, there's, there's definitely getting to the quarterback is the easiest answer. Now, how do you get there? That's going to be the difficult one. And, you know, I don't, I don't know what the answer is, to be honest with you, because they've, they've kind of, They've taken a step back since Gus Cumberlander has gotten, has been hurt for the season and has been lost. And, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau and DJ Johnson and Mace Funa, they've, they've done well in spurts, I think. Um, I think in other times their inexperience has, has shown up a little bit. Uh, but that's, that's to be expected. You know, they're younger players. They're playing, this is their first times, uh, playing in big time football like this. So hopefully as they continue to play more, and they see more stuff, uh, they adjust and they can react. Um, but you've got to come up with some kind of way to get to the quarterback and get some kind of pressures because, look, Oregon's secondary is really good. They have a ton of talent back there. I think they have at least three NFL players on, on in their secondary. But even then, they can't cover guys for four, five, six seconds. It's just – it's no defense can, you know, consistently. You can maybe do it for two or three plays, but eventually your defense breaks down and guys get open. And so you've got to find a way to get pressure. Fourth question from at Moore 44 How big of an impact did Dive being out last week affect the pass defense? I know it was Washington State and Leach, but there seemed to be a lot of gaps. Huge. Zone coverage, yeah. I, 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 agree. I agree with that. Um, the touchdown pass to Arcanado, uh I think that was his first touchdown in the second half. Um, was right over Drew Mathis's hands, and actually Mathis, I mean, it was like three inches. It looked like over his. I mean, it was really, really close. He he almost made a tip on the ball, and if that go, ball goes up in the air, that might have got picked off, and you know, and it's a different thing. But that was just one of a handful of incidences where 
it looked like between Mathis and Cunningham, and it seemed like Mathis was out there more when they passed, and Cunningham was out there a little bit more when when Oregon, I guess when Washington State might run, which wasn't all that frequently. Um, Die Die is a tremendous player, and I don't think anybody, you know, I don't think I don't think that's news to anybody. That's not. <laughs> that's not shocking. That's not breaking, breaking news. That's not. I'm not breaking any news by saying that. He, he he's a key part of that defense in the middle, and I, they missed him. You know, and and I don't think there's any question about that. And even if it isn't in terms of the pass coverage stuff, like he was the one that forced the sack against Washington because he got up the middle, forced the running back to chip him, moved Easton out of the pocket, and Popo was able to finish up the sack. Like they they missed that element too. I think in the pass rush. And not that Troy Dye, you know, is a massively, massively disruptive, you know, presence in the pass game in terms of giving that to the quarterback every single play, but he's certainly someone capable of that. And in a game against Washington State, I don't think they had a lot of answers, you know, for that. And again, I mean, you were starting a guy in Drew Mathis who hadn't, that was his second week of playing at Oregon. He didn't play until the Washington game. Uh, it's a lot to ask. It's a tough ask. I don't think he played terrible. Uh, I know he had three tackles, and I think he might have had a, a quarterback hurry. But, like, he also, you know, Washington State was very much aware of who was in Troy Dye's spot, and it wasn't Troy Dye, and I agree. I think they picked on him. Yeah, the, I, Dye, one of Dye's best skill sets is pass coverage. I, I, I think he's very good in, in pass coverage, and he presents the ability because he's he's a linebacker, but he kind of moves like a safety, right? Like he's I mean, he, quick, he played safety in high school. Yeah, like he, he's, he has safety instincts. He has safety athleticism. Um, I think that's a big reason why it makes him so good. And it's kind of the, you know, the trade off on the positive of, you know, he's not as big as you probably would like an inside linebacker to be. Um, he's close, but probably, you'd probably ideally want him to be, to be heavier. But the, the positive trade off is he can do things in the passing game that most inside linebackers can't. And, against a, a team like Washington State and then potentially now against a team like USC, that skill set of covering in space is huge. All right, I think that was the fourth question. Let's take a quick break. Uh, let's hear from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, you're listening to the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prame. Eric Scopel is with me. We're answering your questions. You drive the ship per se. You dictate what we talk about every Wednesday by submitting your questions to Eric uh, on Twitter. You can send them to me too, but I would send them to, tw- to Eric first. Uh, Eric, let's get on to number five. From at A. Crippen. Would you prefer 
to be a favorite to win the Rose Bowl or a heavy underdog in the college football playoff. We actually had a conversation on this on Monday's show, so let's kind of continue that conversation. Uh, personally, and this this was my stance on Monday as well, I, I'd rather just play in the college football playoff. I think it's an opportunity. It's a measuring stick game. It's an opportunity to see where you stack up um, against the best in the country. And Oregon played Auburn to start the season. Auburn had been until this last week a top 10 ranked team. They played pretty darn good in SEC play challenge, the teams they lost to. It's not like they've been beaten, you know, blown out this season. Uh, I think Oregon can compete with a lot of these teams. I don't necessarily, you know, I, I do think they'd be a heavy underdog. I don't know how much of an underdog. I, I would guess, I'd guess they'd probably be at least just, you know, a 10 point underdog, maybe a little bit more to some of these teams. Um, and they would be probably a favorite in the Rose Bowl, depending on the matchup. You know, it, that would, I'm going to guess someone in like Penn State or Michigan or maybe Wisconsin would be the representative in the Rose Bowl there. And I don't know if they're going to be a heavy favorite, but they'd probably be favored against a lot of those teams, depending upon how Oregon plays down the stretch and how those teams play down the stretch. Um, but ultimately, it's like, don't you want to at least play for a championship? Don't you want to at least see what can happen? I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll be really surprised and, and Oregon would go out and, and get in play, you know, get an opportunity to play for the national championship. Maybe they would upset whoever the number one seed is and get an opportunity to play for it again. Wouldn't you rather have that opportunity than playing in a Rose Bowl game where, yeah, you'd probably be favored to win. Doesn't mean you'd win, but you would, I think, a pretty good chance to win that game. You get a lot of momentum from it, but man, I, I just think it's really, really hard to get to a national championship game. You know, Oregon knows that best. Think about the 2010 through 2014, how many teams in there that, you know, the 2012 and 2013 teams were really good football teams, two, maybe two of the better teams Oregon's had, and yet they don't make it to the national championship because they lose a game here or a game there down the stretch, and uh, it's hard to get there. You have to have a lot of things break your way, and so I just think you don't ever want to sleep on the fact that Making a college championship game is very challenging. It's very unlikely, even if it's not, you know, even if you have a really, really good football team, it's hard to get there. And I think just being able to, to make an appearance in that, see where you're at, see if you can challenge these upper echelon teams that basically don't respect the Pac-12. And we saw what Auburn said after, some of the players for Auburn said after that game of, like, we couldn't lose to a Pac-12 team. And they talk about it almost like the Pac-12 is, you know, not not even an FBS conference. So, uh, I, I think an opportunity to prove yourself, not only the conference, but to prove yourself and, and to see where you're at. And I, I would personally pick that. I know Matt's sort of on the fence and maybe leaning the other way, though. Yeah, I I, I see both sides. Um, I think, just to play devil's advocate, I think if you went to the Rose Bowl and you won that game, which I think you and I would both agree, at least right now, is probably the more probable win between a college right. football playoff game and a Rose Bowl game. Um I, I think the value in that outweighs the value you get in just an appearance in the Rose Bowl or in the college football playoff. Because if you make the Rose Bowl, let's let's say Oregon is sixth or seventh. Let's say they are seventh in the top twenty five in the college football playoff rankings and they make the Rose Bowl, they play the sixth ranked Penn State Nittany Lions and they go on and win that football game, you know, in, in, in good fashion. They look good. It's not a blowout, but they look good in that game. And all of a sudden they jump from seven to three, let's just say. And you finish the season in the top three in the country. You've got a Rose Bowl win, which is now the program's third since 
2010. So in one decade, you've won the Rose Bowl three times. Uh, and you've set yourself up now from, from a recruiting perspective of, Hey, look, we, we are on the brink of the college football playoff. We are in the discussion again. We have a Rose Bowl win to our name. We have a top three finish to go out and, and project. We're going to guarantee you will be, even with Herbert gone, even with, uh, the offensive line gone, they will be a preseason top 15 team next year. You know, if, if that scenario plays out, maybe even top 10, if, if a couple guys defensively come back and the recruiting continues to, you know, ascend. And so I, I think there's, there's obviously the positives of that. But at the same time, like what you said, as an athlete, you want to compete at the highest level. You want to have an opportunity because you never know. Maybe they do pull it out. Maybe, maybe the, you know, this Oregon team right now is considerably better than they were week one against Auburn and they almost beat Auburn. You know, they should have beaten Auburn and should be, you know, they should be eight. No, right now, you know, in this season. So, and, and who knows? Maybe they, they play a, a Clemson that's a two seed and Oregon's a, a, uh, or one, you know, maybe Clemson's a one seed and Oregon's a four and Clemson has struggled all year in the ACC. And, you know, all it takes is just one, one win and you advance. Now you're in the college football championship game. So, I mean, I, I, I see, the, I see both sides. I think, um, a win in the Rose Bowl is more probable, but the, the question then becomes what, what has more value, making the college football playoff or winning a Rose Bowl? You know, and one thing just about that is you talked about the rankings and the adjustments there. Uh, I'm just pulling up 2016, the last time the Pac-12 had a representative in the college football playoff. Washington stayed at number four despite losing and losing kind of, I don't want to say dominantly, but they didn't play very well against Alabama. They stayed at number four in, in the rankings. So, uh, you know, like I guess Oregon could go out and if they lose by like seven touchdowns, they'd probably tumble down the polls a little bit. But I, I would think if Oregon goes out and plays pretty competitively. They'd stay somewhere between four and six in the polls in that range, so they'd still be up there. Uh, you know, and that, that's you know, and I don't think you'd play for rankings, right? I mean, I know it's it's something that helps, and it's your number that's on the TV screen during the football game, and it's sort of how fans, the casual observer, kind of differentiates between team A and team B. Well, this one's ranked here, this one's ranked there, but ultimately, I don't think there's a ton of value in those rankings in terms of just like who's going to win a football game. So uh, I don't necessarily think you want to play for, for rankings and, and, and whatnot, but I, I, I still think like, like, like you kind of acknowledged at the end there. I still think let, let's, let's see if he can win the whole thing. Let, let's just give it, you know, why, why, why shoot for possibly winning the Rose bowl when you have a chance to possibly win the national championship. I, to me, that's sort of a no brainer. I get, I get the argument the other way though. All right. From at W D Saviero. First question Ask here in the comments. Second question, why doesn't Spencer Webb play anymore? Big touchdowns in our two biggest games. As for the first part, yes, asking in the comments is how you uh, get your questions onto the show. Uh, going forward, uh, you don't have to ask if that's how you do it yet. Just ask in the comments on Twitter, and that's how we see them and how we answer them. Second part of the question there, uh, Spencer Webb didn't play a lot previously because of Jacob Breland being on the field. And now that Jacob Breland is no longer available because of injury, we're seeing Spencer Webb start to play quite a bit. Uh, you know, he had, you know, I don't have the exact snap count in front of me. I wish I did. I wish Oregon published snap counts because it would be really helpful in terms of differentiating between like, okay, Spencer Webb had three catches for 42 yards, but what if he only ran 10 routes the entire game and he just happened to be productive while he was in? 
I don't know the exact snap counts. I thought he was out there a fair amount, though, against Washington State. And, again, we should mention he had critical catches throughout that game. Two consecutive weeks he's had critical catches throughout the games. And, you know, I think he's already playing quite a bit. But if he continues to improve as a blocker, which is something I think he that Cristobal said about Spencer Webb on Monday, there's no reason he can't play the, the high majority of snaps. Like, if he, can, if he can go out there and make a difference – blocking in the run game or protecting Justin Herbert, depending upon what the play calls for. Like he can, he can be a, an all three down guy. I mean, he is so, so talented as a pass catcher that there's no question. He should be your primary tight end in those situations. It's just a matter of, can he be as effective when Oregon's running the football and Hunter Cantmore has been an animal out there. I don't know how many people go back and watch some of those long touchdowns or those long runs Oregon has. Like a lot of those are sprung because of Cantmore just yeah, absolutely he needs ob- obliterating guys. He has yeah. to be on the field still. Like, uh, I know Camp Moyer is not the threat throwing, you know, downfield in the passing game that a Webb, a Breland are. Um, he and Bay, though, are significantly better and are very impressive in their downfield blocking. You're right. But with Webb, I asked Crystal Ball on Monday just kind of what has he seen from Webb because you know, the last two games, he's had some big games. He's had, I think, six catches in the last five games, in the last seven games that he's played in. Um, Webb, Webb also has his last five catches all going for first downs. And one of those was on the game-winning drive against the Cougars. And I think Cristobal noted, yeah, he's progressing well in the passing game, but now that he's back to strictly being a tight end, he's growing tremendously at a high clip in the blocking game as well, saying that he's starting to get physical again, starting to figure things out. And I think, look, it, it <clears throat> he might not put up, you know, insane stats this season, but I, it wouldn't surprise me by Arizona State that Spencer Webb is getting a majority of the snaps at the tight end position. All right, question number seven from at Manister Duck. Can we get an early look ahead to 2021? This is a recruiting question. Who are the five most important recruits for the 2021 recruiting class right now? Seems like Oregon has the 2020 class basically on lock and almost done. Matt, I will turn it over to your recruiting knowledge. Sure. Well, I, I actually have 10. Oh, my gosh. You, you did too much homework. I did you, you too much homework. It. Extra credit. Um, I think there's there's two guys that make this list that are on here that are committed to Oregon. Seven McGee, a running back from Rochester, New York, originally from New York or from California. He's the number two running back in the country. He's currently committed. And then Anthony Beavers is the number 11 ranked athlete in the country, another four-star guy, another top 100 guy. He's committed to Oregon as well from Harbor City, California, and Narborn. Um, him and McGee actually were high school teammates. <clears throat> so I, I think uh, at one point they were high school teammates. So you know, those two guys are, are important to get. Now, there's a couple obvious guys that have to be on this list. And so that's why I went to 10. Um, because there's five-star quarterback Caleb Williams. He's a dual-threat quarterback. Uh, I believe he's the number one dual-threat quarterback in the country. He's the 16th best player overall. He's been at Oregon for Saturday Night Live, so he has to make the list. Um, you've also got the number one player in the country, five-star Corey Foreman, who's a defensive end from Corona, California. Um, Oregon has offered, but everyone else has offered. So, he, but, you know, he's just one of those guys that, He's got to be on a top 10 list just because he's so good. Um, 
JT Tui Moalo, uh, five-star defensive tackle from Seattle, same thing. Uh, and then five-star Mecca Akbuga, uh, an athlete from Steelacoom, Washington, uh, number nine player in the country. You know, so those guys are guys that they absolutely have to be on here because of A, they're committed or B, uh, they are the best at their positions and are seriously looking at Oregon. Now, outside of those five, there's another group where I think they, these guys are critical for Oregon's success in 2021. Um, and the first guy it starts with, and this isn't in any order, but, uh, Kingsley Sawamataia, an offensive tackle. I probably butchered his last name. Uh, but he is high school teammates with Noah Sewell in Utah. Um, and Oregon has told him since Saturday Night Live back in July that he is their number one offensive target, ta- uh, tackle target for 2021. He's, he, he reminds me a ton of Sewell. He's going to get that comparison all the time. Uh, he looks up to Panay as an older brother. The Sewell family and the, and, uh, and his family are very, very close. So, uh, he was here this past weekend for the Washington State game. Um, I think you also have to look at Keith Brown, a four-star inside linebacker from in, in the state, from Lebanon, Oregon. He's the number three player in the country at inside linebacker. I think it's a matter of when, not if, uh, Keith Brown commits to Oregon. He's very, very high on the Ducks. We'll have, uh, we have a story up on DuckTerritory.com right now of him recapping his most recent visit to Oregon, which was for the Washington State game. I also have another guy, uh, Julian Simon. He's an athlete. From Tacoma, Washington, Lincoln High School, seventh best athlete in the country. Um, this is a guy that can play, honestly, all over the place. Inside linebacker, outside linebacker, tight end, H-back, shoot, maybe, maybe even running back. He's like six foot two and 230 pounds. He can do it all. Really, really talented player. Um, one of the best players in the country, another top 100 guy, high on Oregon, likes the Ducks. Uh, been to Oregon a couple times already, so I would include him. And then last but not least, Troy Franklin, a wide receiver from Menlo Park, California. He's the number three receiver in the country. He's one of the best targets, regardless of position, out west. Um, he's been at Oregon before. He was here for Saturday Night Live this past summer. Uh, he's one of Oregon's top targets at the receiver spot. And I just think even though Oregon's kind of loaded up at the receiver position the last two years, you need to keep going out and getting, you know, one of the you know top five players at that position every year. You know, with what with, with what they're building at the receiver spot, I think you you just need to continue that that progression. That then that's for every position really. But even though you're loaded, I, I think Troy Franklin is a game game breaker, a game changer, um, and, and is going to be a guy that, that's going to be critical for Oregon success. And on top of that, they've just got a good chance of getting him. All right, let's move on to the last question from at who's the boss. How can we find a way to beat USC and also make sure Clay Helton keeps his job? Uh, we should note, we should note that even after USC beat Colorado on a, I guess it was a Friday game or a Thursday game, I think Friday last week, uh, there were people on the USC message board on 24-7 sports still asking to fire Clay Helton. So, uh, it, the public perception is not with him down there. In fact, uh, our colleague Kevin Waits said it's like a thread on the USC message board where someone was making some like sort of cogent arguments about keeping him instead of uh, hiring someone like Urban Meyer, and it had like 350 downvotes. So uh, for those who don't know message board lingo, that's bad. That's a, that's a lot of people who disagree with your point. Um, 
kind of a funny question, but I, I, let me make the argument for like Clay Helton. I know he's not perfect. I know USC has crazy high expectations. I know the recruiting has fallen off. I think that's the place where it's been frustrating. But 2016, 2017, USC went 22 and six, won a Rose Bowl, and finished fifth in the in the in, uh, in the a- coaches poll, third in the AP poll one year, and tenth in the coaches poll, twelfth in the AP poll the next year. Obviously, last year five and seven. This year five and three. But like, think about what's gone on at quarterback the last two seasons. Last year it was starting a true freshman who was literally moved up a grade, reclassified to get into school. And this year, that guy who was previously a true freshman was basically knocked out for the season, like your second game. And they've now been with Slovis, who's another freshman quarterback. And they're 5-3, and 4-1, and one, still have a chance to win the Pac-12 South. They beat Utah, so they have the tiebreaker there. They, they actually control their own destiny in the South. If they were to win out, they would be the, the you know, the, the representative in the Pac-12 championship game. So, I uh, I, I don't know. Like personally, like I, I know, I know, like I know, Helton probably doesn't have cr- incredible job security. Again, not breaking news, but I also say like his resume is not like so bad that I, I know. I, I guess it's different when you're a fan of a program than if you're just kind of looking at it from the outside perspective. And I get why USC fans are frustrated. USC should not win five games in a season. USC should not be USC should not be beaten on the recruiting path the way they're being beaten right now. At the same time, like look. They're at least somewhat successful down there, and that's a lot more than you can say about some teams in the conference. I don't know. I I also would think, like, as much as it's funny to joke and laugh at that, the conference kind of needs USC to be good, right? Like, I agree. Not to let, not to bust the bubble there, but the, the, the league's perception is a hell of a lot better when USC is a team that's at least competing for conference championships every single year, and is a team every single year that's ranked inside the top 15. You know, like, they're, when they're down years are, hey, we're 23rd in the country and we finished the year 9 and 3. Like, that's good for the conference. And while it might mean it's more difficult to recruit for Oregon and they might miss on some guys, like, at the same time, like, yeah, have they profited or have they benefited off of USC being down on the recruiting trail? Yes, absolutely. But, who, I mean, if, if, who, who are you gonna like go out and say like, this team scares me recruiting against Mario Cristobal and his coaching staff and the machine that they have in marketing at Oregon? Like, I don't think Oregon's gonna lose a guy because all of a sudden USC's good again. Like, the, this team's gonna, this team will still get good recruits even with USC being good. Yeah, no, it's interesting. And, and I got, we have a kind of a bonus question, Matt, that no one else had. You hadn't seen it. I just saw it on Twitter in our, as I was looking to wrap up the podcast here, but let's, let's do one more and then, and then we'll sign off here. So this is a ninth bonus question from at Mega Vault Games. At some point, I feel like the coach's lack of faith in the passing game is going to bite them. Do you guys agree? I, I know we're running the ball at an elite level, but we barely won that game on Saturday with all the run production thoughts. Uh, I would say actually, I completely I, disagree. I think they should have ran the ball more against Washington State. Yeah, I, I kind of disagree with that take, and I, and, I, and I understand the point of like they had an incredible running game and they they barely won. But I, did you think that there were instances where they should have thrown it more? Like I, I really didn't uh, think that that was the case. I, I thought the fact that Washington State just couldn't stop Oregon running the football. And look, like I think Oregon should come out against USC, run, 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 run. Yeah, I, I mean, and like I, I straight up run to the left side first and second down on your first, like, three possessions of the game and just see what happens because what we saw against Washington State, that's an indication of what they could do against a USC defense, which is 
super banged up, which hasn't been very good against the run, even when they were healthy. Like, I think Oregon could have another massive day on the ground. And I'm not saying you don't want to keep the ball in the hands of the probable Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year, maybe a Heisman Trophy finalist in Justin Herbert. But Could Panay uh, Sewell be the Offensive Player of the Year? Like, if Oregon wins out, could he win the award? I feel like he deserves it, but I feel like it's it's become such a – like, every single offensive award – in the country, not even in the conference, always goes to a quarterback. Have you noticed that? And it's yeah. sort of a I, – I don't like that because it doesn't seem like it's representative of the actual best player. But, like, I'm assuming they're going to do an offensive lineman of the year, and that's basically already been given to Sewell, I, I would imagine. <laughs> he's, he's won three – I posted this on the on Twitter uh, on Tuesday, or I guess it was on Monday, of just, like, he's won three out of nine Pac-12 offensive linemen of the week. And the other two and two of those were given to Oregon offensive linemen in weeks where <laughs> Sewell probably would have won if Oregon had nominated him. Like Sewell's biggest obstacle well, for having won this every week is the fact that Oregon staff is a little like too charitable and generous. And yeah. Like I don't want like, to the players. We, we don't know this for sure, but like I, we kind of know at the same time that like they could just throw Sewell out there every week. And so, this week it was Calvin Throckmorton, and last week it was Shane Lemieux, and it's kind of, hey, let's let's get some of our other guys some some recognition because, oh, by the way, like Penny Sewell is the best offensive lineman in the in, in the country and 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 in the conference, but Calvin Throckmorton and Shane Lemieux and Jake Hansen, you know, they're probably the best guys at their positions as well in the conference, and we should get them some some acknowledgement. I just thought that was funny because I, I you watch you go and you watch that. That game, and I know Lemieux, who won this last week, was awesome, but Sewell was just killing dudes again. And if, I think Oregon's like basically being like, yeah, let's 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 make sure we get some other guys some attention because he could win every week. But back to the, your original thought of like, yeah, he should. Like, I think he deserves it. If Oregon if Oregon ends up going nine and zero, or maybe even eight one in the Pac twelve, uh, you know, I think I, I really think this upcoming game with USC is by far the most challenging one on the schedule. I think after that, it gets pretty easy based upon what we've seen from Arizona and Arizona State recently. Um, but, like, there's no question that if Oregon were to be 8-1 and or 9-0 and and the run game is where it's at and Sewell keeps playing at this level, that he would be 100% deserving of winning the conference's top honors. And it would be interesting to see, you know, Pro Football Focus does their, their scoring. I would love to see where the comparative scores would be for, like, a Penny Sewell versus a Justin Herbert or uh, – a Zach Moss, who's probably Herbert's biggest competition to win that award, because I would guess Sewell's season PFF score would be significantly better than either of those guys who are probably the top candidates to win the award. Real quick, you got me thinking on this. Um, USC, I think we would both agree. This USC game is the most difficult left on the schedule. It's also probably, in my mind, I think you've, you've maybe said it, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the most likely chance Oregon loses if, if they lose this season, it's this weekend at, at USC, is are you there? I am. I'm ready to say it. Uh, if, if Oregon beats USC this weekend, they will go on and finish the season uh, with a perfect conference record because I think they will blast Arizona. They yep. will, Arizona State has taken a step back. Uh, from what they've been doing the last few weeks, uh, or earlier in this season, you know, their offense cannot move right now. Jaden Daniels has maybe hit a wall. Now that there's some film out there on him. Um, I think they beat Arizona State. Might not be a, a total blowout, but they, they win that one as well. And then the Civil War will be a bloodbath. 
Uh, and I, th- I think if Oregon beats USC this weekend, they go nine and zero in conference play, which would be the first time uh, a school has done that in, in conference play since Oregon went undefeated in 2010 and, and won nine games in conference play uh, and, and went on to and play for the national championship. So I, I'm there. I think if I think this season boils, you know, a, a perfection in conference play boils down to this weekend. Beat USC and the last three games of the year. Will be will be significantly easier, and Oregon will will win all three of those and and finish nine and zero. I'm one, I'm with you 100. I, I really think this is the last big obstacle. Also because you get a bye week afterwards to really kind yes. of recuperate, focus, uh, get healthy, and it sets you up for that stretch run, like you said, at home for two games against Arizona, Oregon State, who are frankly two of the least. I don't know. I don't want to trash Oregon State too much because technically they're in second in the Pac-12, but those are two of the least. Eric, uh, they're not the same level as as no, Oregon. they're not, and they're those not are two of the least like. Yeah, those are two of the least kind of terrifying games, if you will, or two of the least terrifying teams you could, and you have those games at home. Those are wins. And at Arizona State, I know you picked preseason that that would be a potential slip-up game. I know a couple weeks ago we were talking about it, and it felt like that was a reality that that would be that game. But Daniel, like you said, Jaden Daniels has not performed very well the last couple of weeks, and they've lost games both on the road, we should say, but they've lost games to Utah. You can't blame them for that. Utah's incredibly good. And then to UCLA, and that was a game they were down 42-10 to at one point. Uh, I think Oregon can beat Arizona State. So, yeah, I agree. And I, and I really think this is going to be a challenging game, though. Um, we've seen three consecutive weeks a team with really good, with a really good pass offense challenge Oregon, give Oregon fit, you know, fits basically. Uh, and Oregon has had answers and the ability to win. I think this is going to be another game and we'll get to game predictions obviously way later in the week, but I think this is going to be a game that's really close. And I think it's going to, again, probably come down to the last couple possessions. And I think Oregon's going to be really, really challenged, but I do think if they get out of Los Angeles with a victory, uh, there's a very, very good chance that you're going to be looking up and they're going to be 11 and 1 and 9 and 0 going into a conference championship game, probably against Utah. It's going to do it for us on this Mailbag Wednesday of the Ots and Audibles podcast. For Eric Scopel, Matt Prem, thank you for listening. We'll have Ryan Abraham on tomorrow to preview the show. So look forward to that. And as always, keep listening uh, to this podcast. Share it as you can. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos.